The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen grand is the... Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen grand Dr. grand Dr. Doreen grand Dr. Doreen grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning, Good morning. welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm here with Dr. Doreen Grampichet, and I'm going to let her say good morning before I say good, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Nice to be here. If you watch the show, you know that I go off on a monologue for about 20 minutes and don't let her say anything. So, poor thing. Uh, but I'm Shannon Penrod, and I'm so thrilled to be here with you on this Tuesday morning. Thank you for getting the memo that Ask Dr. Doreen, one of your favorite shows, has moved to Tuesday morning. We're already saying good morning to Michelle and to Ka. Uh, so thrilled to have you guys here with us live. It is the it is Tuesday morning, the eighteenth. I have just thinking here, the eighteenth of January, twenty twenty two, and we are live right now on Facebook and on YouTube, and about I don't know twelve, thirteen, fifteen other sites as well that we're live right now. So if you're watching us live, that's great. And Traven will go through, our fabulous Traven, will go through some of the different places where we're live right now. It is easiest to interact with us live if you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, because you can write on those platforms. You can just stay where you are, uh, ask a question, and it comes to us in, in the format that we're doing. And, and so that's super easy. You can also uh, write your questions to me directly, uh, Shannon at autism-live.com. And you, we still have our um, chat that is available on our website, autism-live.com. And, and we're going to start this morning with a question that, we, that came in live last night on that chat. But uh, I also want to make sure that you know that we love doing the live show. We love this interaction. We, we love participating with you. Dr. Grampiche loves to get your questions, but you know, you may not be available at 10 a.m. Pacific time uh, on Tuesday morning. And, and you, I don't want you to feel like you're left out because you can absolutely watch the show in podcast. It is a free download wherever you get your podcast. And um, then you can write in your question. We do take questions during the week to start the show off with so you can still participate and then catch the show when it's in podcast. So that is available to you. And as I said, we're available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I also want to let you know that uh, Ask Dr. Doreen is on TikTok, and you can be asking questions on TikTok as well. Just another uh, avenue that you can watch. And if you're a TikTok fan, that's a great thing to be able to do. 
Uh, I feel like I've left some big, huge resource out. Oh, I know. Well, uh, Ask Dr. Doreen is now on the Autism Network, and we're really encouraging you guys to visit autismnetwork.com, tootle around, click all the buttons, let us know, because it's a brand new website, and we're, we're asking you guys to... We, we didn't bother to go through a beta phase. We just released it to you guys. And we're hoping some of you have written in and said, hey, this button doesn't work. That is so valuable for us. We so appreciate you guys participating with us because that's what this whole thing is about. And I'm saying good morning to I am Jean. Hi, hi, I am Jean. So glad that you're here. Good morning to you as well. So if this is your first time watching the show, and it may be, Dr. Doreen Grampichet is our 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 wonderful resource for this hour. She graciously gives us this hour. She is a true expert in the field of autism. I believe the preeminent expert in autism in our time. I know to look at her, you would not be able to tell, but she's been working in this field for over 40 years. Yes, I said 40 as in four zero. I know it's mystifying, but it's true. And she's worked with a wide array of people from very small children up through senior citizens is renowned for working with families and for seeing individuals as individuals who uh, there's no one size fits all. So Dr. Grampichet, we're getting an echo because my earbuds aren't working. Don't know why, um, but- Fine on this side, Shannon, it all sounds great. All right, uh, but Dr. Grampichet, thrilled to have you here. Um, and uh, please, uh, I already said to say good morning, but we're, we're, we're absolutely. So Shannon this morning has been having some internet issues. Are you back Shannon? You froze there for a bit. I don't know. Am I back now? Yes, you are. Yes. The technology doesn't like me this morning. I know it's a tough morning. Let's take a deep breath and make the internet be so zen. I'm saying the disclaimer that there is no individual, no expert in in any field, you will specific advice in this format. So when you write in, please be as specific as possible and tell us the question that you want to have answered for yourself or for someone that you love uh, and understand that Dr. Grampichet will lend her expertise with the information that you give her and ask you questions, but there is no one who can give individual specific in this format. She's not even going to try to do that. But having said that, Everybody just writes, I, I don't send you enough of the comments, Dr. Grampichet, that people write and say how much you have changed their trajectory and how much hope you have given That's them. That's so lovely. So Thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you so Can much. Can I launch in with a question or did you have anything that you wanted to say? No, and I'm happy to answer questions. And yeah, I know that we received one overnight, which was a little heartbreaking. So why don't you go ahead and start there? Let's read that one. Yeah. Um, last night, somebody wrote in and said, my nine-year-old who has ADHD and PTSD and is on the spectrum is having such a hard time. We've missed almost a month of school due to Christmas break, snow days, and COVID. Uh, the, the slack of routine, and I, 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 I love that, the slack of the routine, is, uh, has sent him into a spiral. We're talking meltdowns at least every couple of hours, repeating the same sentences over and over and over again. We're working with a psychiatric nurse practitioner to get him further help. We're trying occupational therapy for sensory overload. He's also on a blood pressure lowering medication that's supposed to help with sleep since he's up multiple times a night. 
We are also working on getting an official diagnosis. He sees a really good therapist, but that also has been thrown out of whack due to the holidays and sickness. He lives with me, his stepdad, and our four other kids. I'm the only one who can remain patient and calm during his meltdowns. I'm exhausted. I'm grieving. I'm worried this is ruining my marriage. Um, so I, first of all, you know me, I want to give this mom a ginormous hug. Yeah. Um, and my yeah. heart is making but here's the thing. I just don't feel like this is all that uncommon right now. I think there's a bunch of parents yeah. who are right on this page right now for a lot of the same reasons. So help yeah. us, Dr. Grant Shang. Yeah. So <clears throat> unfortunately, you're right, Shannon. I, I hear a lot from parents right now that they are struggling, that they're um, things, you know, there's regression of some type or another, that that their kids are either depressed or anxious or, and as we know, our kids really depend on their routines. I mean, that that's what kind of keeps them going. And they, because of their routines, they sort of know what's coming next. And when the routine has been changed and, you know, it's also, this is kind of also one of those things that I was kind of concerned about in the beginning of COVID, which is, you know, children in general, and more so with those on the spectrum, um, they sense how their parents feel as well. And, you know, we all feel pretty, um, I guess, tired of all of this. We feel a little overwhelmed. We feel afraid. Um, there's been a lot of fear over the last couple of years and everybody is sort of self-isolating and we're kind of getting fed up with isolating and it's just becoming very difficult for everyone because it's dragged on so long. We are social beings, right? And this set, this sort of life is just very, very difficult for a lot of people. So it isn't uncommon. Um, and I want to just tell you, you know, don't give up hope. I know it's easy, much, much easier said than done, but um, it's kind of, time to start all over again let's put it that way it's kind of like you know in the uh it's house cleaning let's you know you're gonna you're gonna start all over again and maybe this time uh look at it this way there might be some benefit to it because every time you start over you will start you look at all the different things that exist and that that you have to do right you'll reevaluate the situation in a different way i'm actually shannon yesterday i worked on Kind of the chapters that I want to write in this new book, and it starts with kind of <clears throat> getting your village together or getting the people, your resources together, and that's I think where you need to start. I think it's really important to sit down with your family, with the other four children and your husband, and and whoever else you might have as a support system, and say. I need help. We need to figure this out. I, I can't do this on my own and I need help. And whether it's, you know, five minutes a week or five hours a week, whatever it is, I need help. And you guys are part of my family and we all kind of need to deal with this together. And I want to extend that as much as possible past the immediate family to, um, brothers, sisters, you may have, you know, others, others in your immediate family, or even 
and and even past the family and friends to providers. And so you want to gather all the folks that you know who care about how your son is doing. And uh, these could include ABA therapists, um, could include speech paths, <clears throat> excuse me, occupational therapists, his physician, whoever it is. First get the immediate support group together and then get the larger support group together, the larger provision of service group. And just make it known to everyone that things that what's going on, exactly what you wrote for us, you know, things are falling apart. We need to figure things out. I need help figuring things out. Now you have uh, your, your support system and they are um, going to help you by in two ways. One is they will sit around those of, who are adults and can give feedback and will help you figure out all the things your son needs. So they'll just talk to you like your husband, involve him in the situation. He might be interested in helping. Um, and, you know, do what do we need? Do we need medication? Do we need dietary change? Do we need to remove the, the burden right now of school? Do we need to reduce the demands on him right now? A lot of times when my kids are going through a tough phase, I will start by just reducing demands and making, like, isn't that what you would do for yourself? If you're going through a tough phase, you readjust and start paying attention to the fact that, oh, I'm not getting enough sleep or I'm not eating well enough or I'm not doing this, that, and the other thing. And you start fixing those things. So basically um, have your team help you and some, you know, talk to people, help get them to help you and you'll figure out, okay, we need to reduce the demand. So maybe I'll talk to his school and I'll figure out a way to accommodate further so that he doesn't have to do these various things. He doesn't have any really rewarding activities in his life. So let's put that in his uh, routine. Like what are the things he likes? Maybe I'll go back to, I don't know, VR games or things that he used to do that he doesn't do anymore that might be very helpful to him. Uh, maybe we need to, as a family, go to the park more often or go for a hike or do stuff that's outdoors and so on. Maybe we can do some, so you fill it more with positive and, and rewarding activities and try to reduce some of the things that are negative and, and burdening at the moment. Later on, you're going to gradually work to readjust. But right now seems to be an extremely tough period of time. You also need to then go to your physician who you're working with and say, I need medical help. Um, I need medical help. I need uh, medication that's going to help him, you know, not lose it every two hours or so. I need uh, something that's going to help him be a little bit calmer and uh, maybe his sleep is impacted, something that'll help him with that, whatever it is. So really what you're doing is you're kind of just starting from scratch and you're saying, okay, we need medication to help with some of these uh, meltdowns and we need a different type of environment and different program to help him get through this time. I always say, like you have to increase reinforcers. I mean, one of the things that happens with our kids is they get into a cycle of challenging behavior and we don't realize that they are 
it's a kind of a self-fulfilling destructive cycle where they're doing a challenging behavior and we're mad at them. So now they've like lost all rewards. So their challenging behavior increases. You really need to stop those types of cycles and give him ways to get rewards. Um, and I'm not saying to reward him when he acts out, not at all. I'm saying kind of antecedent control. Try to make the environment much more pleasant to begin with and try to give him things in the environment that are easy for him to accomplish, things that would earn him rewards, things that he are rewarding in and of themselves. Um, and, and you're basically, by doing that, you're kind of creating a much more zen environment for him, right? A much more pleasant environment for him. And then with the help of some medication, you will get through this period of time. But I'm always, when I hear a parent who writes with such desperation, I'm always worried about you just as much as the child, even more so, because you're, a lot of times as parents, we put so much on ourselves and we don't even ask the other people in around us for help. So you need to ask for help. You need to get more people involved in, in this plan. Thank you so much for all of that, Dr. Grampiche. I, I feel like there is a, a communal hitting of the wall today. Um, <laughs> that, you know, and what's ironic for me is that we went through this almost exactly two years ago where we started out and we were like, okay, we're all going to be home for two weeks. And then it was, okay, well, I guess we're going to be home for three weeks. And we all sort of hit the wall together and went, oh crap, I think we're going to be home for a little while. I hope that's not the case this time. I hope we're not going to be in, in this period of time um, for much longer. But, you know, the minute that school started to shut down again, I just felt all these parents go, oh my yeah. gosh, it's the slow slide into the ocean again. Um, and the kids, the kids are past it. The kids are just absolutely past it, but the parents, our capacity to cope, um, everyone I'm talking to is like, oh man, I just, I just don't know if I can do this again, but I love everything that you said. And I think that, it, you know, the first thing that you said, which is, you know, maybe, maybe it's time to relook at everything. Yeah. Uh, cause I, I think of it as just throwing away the rule book. Um, we still try to keep that semblance of we're, we're keeping it all together. And maybe it's time for all of us to go, no, I, I'm, yeah. not keep, I'm not keeping it together right now. So, you know, this is the only Tuesday, January 18th that we're 2022, we're ever going to get. So what could we do today? Asking ourselves yeah. that question about what would be fun today? If we, if we let go of everything else, what, you know, and, and what can I do? Not focusing on the, all the things that I can't do. Um, because, but, but I especially love everything that you said about getting that support, because the idea that we think we can do this by ourselves, it's, it's an, it's a form of lunacy that people are forcing on us. Yeah. Um, this whole idea that when, when school said, oh, okay, we'll now educate them at home. Um, it's, crazy. it's just crazy. It's like already we have, you have so much on your plate as the parent of an autistic child. And now worrying about their educational situation and having them like sit hours and hours in front of zoom. It's just, it's ludicrous. It, it is. And we learned a lot last time that, uh, that for most of our kids that doesn't work. So don't yeah. even try. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
I understand that we're all concerned about the time that our kids have lost for instruction, but we will come out of this again. We've come out of it once. We're going to come out of it again. There will be ways, you know, and it's the school's responsibility to educate them. You'll figure it out later on. Take, take care of today. That's right. Um, Bless your heart. Sending you a hug. I want to move. Amanda has written in a great question. She said, I'm working with my son on reading with expression. He's very good at imitating my facial features and body gestures when I read, but our issue is he's, he over-exaggerates me um, to the point of that it's just kind of awkward. I'm mm-hmm. so proud of him because he definitely understands it, but how would I get him to tone it down a little bit? I do praise him after because he's doing a great job. I just don't know if we should continue. I'm hoping working on prosody will lead to better reading comprehension. So there's a lot in there together, but we love yeah. you, Amanda. So thank Absolutely. you for the great question. Absolutely. So I think the same way, you know, like I, I usually, when I'm trying to get my kids to look at, uh, we always talk about the gray area, right? Because our kids tend to be so black and white. It's either this or it's this. It's either no expression or intense expression. So, and teaching them that gray area is always the key. And I think, uh, Amanda, you uh, use a mirror, like just stand in front of a large mirror and do facial expressions, not necessarily within writing. You can't, within reading, you can certainly do it within reading. Um, but I think that you can just look at, you know, different grades, different levels of, let's say, and you'll uh, label these as, you know, a little surprised, a lot surprised, for example. So you'll be like, or, oh, right. And then you'll be a heel start to see the difference between those types of things. If you do it with him and you actually take the middle of what he's doing and what you're doing, like, you know, the, the point that you want and actually label it as, as its own emotion, right? But I want to also comment on this, the concept that adding prosody will lead to better reading comprehension, because I'm not sure it will. Um, because one of the you know, our kids don't use prosody well. Prosody for our views is just sort of the sound of language, right? How we intonate and, and say things like, for example, when you're asking a question, the end goes up, right? And you just, it sounds a little bit different. But our kids don't use prosody well because they don't understand prosody. It's hard for them to read the uh, intonations of sounds, So I'm not sure that's going to help him with reading comprehension. A lot of our kids, by the way, separately have issues with reading comprehension, just FYI. Um, And you should work on the reading comprehension separately. Like you should just break down reading into shorter segments. The way I work on reading comprehension is that I'll just take, let's say I'll start with a paragraph. If that's too hard, I'll go with sentences Uh, If that's too hard, I'll go with short phrases and I will just, you know, uh, read a very short thing. And what I would do, if you really want to make it easier, is um, you can also have the child, you'll read a a phrase and the child will kind of describe to you what that meant, right? Or you can ask questions about just that phrase. So, you know, I don't know, uh, Joe went to the market. 
and that's it. And then the question is, where did he go or who went to the market? That kind of stuff. And then you can make it longer, right? Joe went to the market and brought, bought broccoli. And then you could ask questions about that. And then you make it into two sentences and eventually a paragraph and so on. And, um, you know, it is hard and he can certainly, he should certainly be re looking at the written words because reading comprehension is easier, believe it or not, than listening comprehension. So if he's not reading and if he's not looking at it, it'll be even harder. Um, so try those things out. Um, and see if it works and, and please let me know because I'm interested to see if we were helpful. Okay, um, great. I want to move on to a question. First of all, Kirk, uh, I see that you're sending me a video. Great, thank you. And I will look at that when I get a chance. Um, you, Shalad, would like to know, could you please share what goals are related to daily life skills that we can add into an IEP for an every student? That's a great question. Um, yeah, it is a great question. The problem is that the daily life skills will differ based on age and somewhat they'll differ based on your child's capabilities or what the child's able to do right now. So for kind of a, like a younger child, obviously daily life skills would be things like grooming oneself. So like, you know, brushing teeth, getting dressed, uh, brushing your hair, washing your face, even bathing, you know, washing your body. Um, it could even be, I could take that back either even further and it'll be things like, you know, buttoning and zipping and those types of things. For an older child, daily life skills are going to be more around chores in the house, like making your bed, uh, you know, picking the correct clothing, depending on the weather, uh, making a sandwich, those types of things. So it's, and, and I, again, it's across, like there's a, a variety of things that you can select from. And if it was a year ago, I'd say just go on skills and take a look, um, which is, these are the reasons that I need to, um, I need to write about skills, Shannon. But I did realize this weekend that the book that we published several years ago, Evidence-Based Treatment for uh, Children with Autism, has appendices. And in the appendix are all the different lessons that we have listed on uh, in skills, which was a, a, an online platform. But you can easily go to see, for instance, there's a play curriculum and then there's an adaptive curriculum. And all of these are listed in the book. And you should look under adaptive and you'll see a whole section on daily living. Um, and that will help you to identify what your child needs now. And um, this book is on Amazon, so you should be able to access it. There you go. And in terms of the IEP, you know, I think um, if you're working very closely with your the OT, the OT is probably going to have some recommendations for things that would go in the IEP. I know this is traditionally an area where the IEP likes to gloss over the life skills kinds of things and say, well, those are things that happen at home. But there's, right. quite a, there's quite a bit of life skills that happens at the school and can be taught at the school. She Absolutely. did tell us that the child is eight. Yeah. Uh, but, well, but there's still quite a bit that they can teach them about their personal care because you still are feeding yourself. You're still toileting. You're still, you know, having to put your clothes back on after you toilet at the school. 
Yeah. Um, so, so depending on how much of that your child is already doing independently, you certainly could have goals at the very least written around those. Oh, yeah. And because it's school, I mean, you can also do things like, you know, putting your stuff in your cubby, uh, standing in line and, you know, following the group. Uh, and, and as Shannon said, any activity that has to do with just you know, uh, performing in school, which part of it is also going to the bathroom by yourself, going to the lunchroom or having lunch, being able to sit and have lunch with kids around you. Uh, there's uh, all of those things would be classified as life skills, I guess. Yeah. There we go. Parker, as always, has written in a really profound question. Parker wants to know, what are some great resources for grief? I know that a grief is a hard issue to talk about. And since the pandemic, it's still going on. A good friend's sister died and I didn't know the sister, but the death inspired me to ask, ask the question, what are some good resources for people on the spectrum um, for grief? Yeah. So I, it's, I, uh, Parker, the original, uh, just like so kind of theories and solutions about grief came from Kubler-Ross, this is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She wrote uh, the seven stages of grief and how, and she, and after that work, uh, a lot of psychologists kind of developed ways to help us get through those seven stages. So uh, my uh, suggestion would be to get in touch with a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, um, and a lot of clinical psychologists are, that's their job. That's what they do. They help people get through things like grief, depression, fear, anxiety, etc. So that's, that's probably the path I would go. If you want, Parker, just look online, look for the Kubler-Ross seven stages of grief. And it's really helpful for people when they are experiencing grief to kind of see those seven stages because they're like, oh yeah, this is where I am. And it's kind of like, I'm going to go to the next stage and the next stage. And honestly, it, it, in one form or not, people do skip stages as well. But generally speaking, we all go through those stages and eventually it ends. Now, at times in my life when I've had grief, seeing a therapist has helped a lot, but it also reading books that are spiritual in nature have helped me a lot. So it really depends on the person and uh, kind of what their belief system is already. And then you provide them with resources around that. And Parker, I'm going to also say that uh, let's, if you remind me, let's ask Nancy uh, when, when we have her on the show this week, because Nancy, Alton, because I remember her husband died. We went through, through a bunch of different resources for her, for Wyatt, and then let's ask her what she found to be the most helpful. Um, because I know that there were some things that were not helpful. Um, that, you know, one of the things that a well-meaning person in her church said to Wyatt was, um, you know, because he said, I want to be with my dad. I want to see my dad. And the person, well-meaning, said um, to him, but you, uh, when you die, and that spiraled Wyatt. He was like, well, so I'm going to die. And is it going to hurt? And when am I going to die? And should I hurry and die to go be with my dad again? And it, it 
like it had to be unraveled. So we do want to use some yeah. caution about, you know, who says what and how they word it. But but I know Nancy will be able to tell us some resources that were, were actually really helpful. That was not helpful. But again, you know, who knew? The person meant well. Yeah. Um, I want to pivot. Uh, Yasmin has written in and said, I wanted to ask how I can get help for my son with math. He's 11 and very smart. He can read and write. He's very verbal. He can express if he is in pain and all of his needs and wants. But I feel like the math, uh, it's just so hard for him. He still can't count to 100 by himself, but he can tell if someone was mean to him and can also have an argument with myself or his dad when he's upset. He has amazing skills, but I'm starting to think that math is just one of his weak points um, and would like to help him because I feel he can learn it. Um, it uh, he's been so verbal and so smart. Please help and thank you in advance. Sure. And, and I don't want to, and then after this, Shannon, we should go back because I think we skipped over um, I'm, coming, I'm coming to that one. I okay, okay. That one was going to take longer. Okay, okay, great. <laughs> so um, there are, there's a whole series of disorders that actually just have to do with math and numbers. So it is quite possible that math is just a weak uh, area for him. It, sometimes it is. And sometimes our kids are actually extremely uh, strong in math. And sometimes they really struggle with math because it is abstract, right, in some ways. So I would just get him, if you can, through the school or any other means, a, actually a math tutor. Like initially, I would say it doesn't matter. Just get him through math. But I see that he's, you know, it, it sounds like he's in, in regular education. He's doing really well. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. But if it's important for you that he understands math and it's important for his life, then get him a tutor. Um, and simplify it and really help him get strong with it. Our kids learn the same way that he will, and he will, uh, you know, and then uh, this doesn't become, like one of the things I'm very concerned about with all kids is when they struggle with one area, it just kind of becomes something they're embarrassed or ashamed of. It's like, I, I was never good at math. I was never good at sports. And if they had received some support or help or just tutoring or, additional support they would have gotten through that and it, i don't i don't want it to become part of his self-image right so either move on to other things or make sure that his life is filled with other things where he's pretty good at them because there is a whole other thing that's important which is what we think about ourselves in terms of success and failure and that's very very important um, or make it easier for him and get him a tutor which, which, you know, should be able to help. And I'm going to give you a great resource that I got from Temple Grandin many, many years ago. Um, it's Khan Academy, K-H-A-N huh. Academy. Um, it, it's a free resource and you can go on there. And what I love about it is that it has math curriculum from everything from uh, kindergarten up through when you're in college, right? Oh, and it has yeah. other yeah. subjects as well, but the math is particularly great. Yeah. So even though your child is, I think you said your child was eight, maybe? I think 11 on this 11. one. Okay. So even though your child is 11 and they're teaching certain concepts to him that are 11 year old, you can go back and do the kindergarten math and you can give him, and it will give him rewards and you can give him rewards because a lot of times there's a skill 
that got that didn't get taught that they don't have and it'll shore up and you can take the class alongside him so that you can see what he's learning and and i can tell you that um it was weird because my son showed skill in math but it didn't translate to the math skills at school and this is what temple grandin recommended she was like give them the khan academy because a lot of times our kids jump past their grade level with khan academy but we did khan academy and the tutor yeah because we needed the tutor to be teaching him what he was doing in class because exactly. he still had to do the stuff in class so we did exactly. khan academy and the tutor and he um graduated with honors and took honors calculus which i couldn't i went i couldn't I can't even read the problems. It looks like yes. Einstein writing. There are symbols I've never heard of. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I just totally what? don't even get it. And Shannon, the thing with math is that it is one of those uh, skills where it really builds upon itself. So yeah. like the, the initial skills, which I'm glad he's young at this age are, are the most important. And like he's really struggling because he's not able to count to a hundred, for instance. That means he's already kind of behind there. Make sure that you go back, go at his pace, and uh, really strengthen those skills for him. And uh, so because it just keeps getting, it builds upon each other, right? If you don't have these primary skills, the later ones are going to be impossible. Also, just reading your question again, Yasmin, it occurred to me that maybe he's a visual learner and you just need to make things visual so that pretty much everything, I mean, in math, most of the time it is visual because it's written in front of you. But if that, if like counting is something that it does not have a visual component. So perhaps if you add a visual component, it might help him get past that. There you go. Um... And yes, Khan Academy, K-H-A-N, academy.com. It's free. And there are other subjects there as well that are super fun. Um, my son and I took one summer uh, 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 animation class, how to code for animation. We took it side by side. So he was taking it in one account and I was taking it in a parent account. And I didn't finish. He did. Um, and I couldn't even believe how much it jump-started him for junior high math. Um, and he codes all the time now. So, you know, you can feed their interests as well. Khan Academy, just, just love it. And I found out about it from Temple Grandin. You got to love that. Now let's jump back. I didn't mean to skip over, but sometimes I just know once we start talking about food, that's where we go. And, and we don't let up on the food thing. So I wanted to get those other questions in. Uh, I'm a gene wrote in and said, thank you for this opportunity. My son will be eight in two weeks. He eats a handful of foods. He eats baked chips, peanut butter pretzels, and for dinner, a vegan grilled cheese sandwich. I use the reward system with him. He also drinks watered down green smoothies. I can't get him to stop gagging at new foods. Any tips are appreciated. I've been watching all the videos on eating and trying to follow those directions. Thank you both so much. And I think she wrote in more. I'm scanning down to see. Maybe not. Okay. Um, here we go. Off and running. So, food. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not, I, I won't, I promise I won't go more than like five minutes on this, but it's the food issue is really important. There's two different things going on here. One is this kind of shaping procedure that we do in feeding, 
which I'll talk about briefly. And the other one is um, the actual food that you're eating or that he is eating. So, and if you're going to start with um, a shaping procedure, so usually what happens with our kids is that they narrow their food, they become food selective and to a point where they are narrowing their selections down to very few things. And this becomes problematic because we can't get them to, you know, try other things. And then as, as uh, she wrote here, uh, it just becomes to the point where like, if you try a new food, he will gag even. So this is kind of a problem. So feeding therapy, which is done by behavior analysts, you could certainly find a behavior analyst who specializes in feeding therapy. Most BCBAs know how to do feeding therapy. So um, this shouldn't be speech paths. Also, some speech pathologists also know how to do feeding. Feeding has to do with um, rewarding small increments of a particular type of food and then increasing the, the food and increasing the features of the food. So sometimes when we start with a child, we'll start with like um, a, a sprinkle, right? Like something that is tiny, tiny, and then you reward it with foods or things that the child wants, but, and then you gradually will increase the amount, but you also will increase other features that the child might reject. For instance, some children will only eat crunchy foods. Um, other children will only eat mushy foods and it varies. And so that is what they have become used to. And now let's say for the child who's just has only, will only eat mushy foods. Um, we now have to teach that child actually how to chew because they've never been required to chew. So that becomes another phase. So, you know, it, if it's the texture of the, the food, um, it becomes a little bit harder because you have to go in a series of steps where you're starting with things that are the texture the child accepts and then gradually change the texture while you're also changing the amount and type of food. So that's the, the feeding therapy process. And you can look online about that, but it's just a shaping process, right? And it's like, take a little bit of the thing you don't like and a lot of the thing you do like and now gradually I'm going to increase the thing you don't like and I'm just going to keep your rewards going for a while and then I will actually reduce the reward food but with that being said since you're starting from scratch if it was me because I'm starting a new feeding therapy process I might choose foods that are good for my child because a lot of times our kids become selective because they are consuming foods that they are actually allergic or reactive to. So I always use the example that my, my son used to drink chocolate milk. And while he was drinking chocolate milk, you couldn't get him to eat anything. Like it was just chocolate milk and that's it. And so I realized that he had these like dark rings and I was like, you know what? He's got an allergy to milk. I need to pull milk out of his diet. And it's very scary because we're pulling out the thing that the child eats the most, right? And you're like, what if he's going to, and he became kind of tiny at that time. But then after a little while, I introduced other types of milk. And then also he just, his appetite started to open up and he started trying other things. 
Now, it's harder for some kids because they become much more selective. But reading your uh, list of foods, he's, he's taking in mainly casein and gluten. Like he's taking in a lot of cheese and a lot of, uh, I thought, I think you said like different things that would contain gluten. And she to- said it's a vegan cheese that he's having. Ah, okay, good, good. So that could be. So you, you, you're probably not worrying too much about dairy at this point, but you had. I'm trying to find the list. I think everything else well, she, was like. She's writing in more though now. She's eliminated dairy years ago, so great, dairy is gone. And um, but I don't know about gluten. Right, because it sounded like a lot of the products were grains, right? So things that would contain gluten. And if that is the case, I would eliminate as much as possible gluten. If that's not the case, if you've already eliminated gluten, then all you need to do is the feeding part, which is kind of just increasing the foods to uh, by giving him rewards, right? Um, but it, it did sound to me like he is taking in a lot of uh, gluten-type products. And a lot of times gluten will do that. Let me just update you. She has said that he has been eating gluten, but she will switch breads, as you suggested. Um, she's going to do that. And that she does see that he loves crunchy foods, and she's introducing carrots today. Well, that's great. And that's it's wonderful. Uh, but you also need to make sure that he also does uh, eat other types of foods, right? So I would start with a goal. This is really important because when you go to a feeding therapist, they will they will have goals. And it's not like every other day they're thinking of introducing something. You want to have a goal and you'll have, like these are the, I don't know if your family's vegan or whatever, but you'd have like, these are the proteins, these are the carbs, these are like the vegetables, fruits that I want to introduce. Um, and be, you know, select things that are child friendly, like not every child likes Brussels sprouts or spinach, you know, they, they will eat, however, carrots, perhaps and peas. So like pick the things that are be fair, you know, and then put like five in each category and start working towards those. And like I said, like, let's say you're introducing carrots. That's awesome. Um, oh God, I have, a, I have a video of one of my kids where I was teaching him to chew carrots and it's the cutest thing in the world, but, uh, yeah, that's wonderful, but make sure you reward it with something that is meaningful to him. So it's a tiny bit of carrot, uh, much more of the thing that's rewarding and then gradually reverse that. There you go. Uh, I, I want to switch up here and, uh, Lisa has written in and said, if you're still taking questions and we're trying to, Lisa, we're trying to get through as many of them as we can. I would, uh, like any advice on my dilemma. I have three grandchildren living with me. God bless you, Lisa. My youngest grandson is 12 and he's on the spectrum. He has come such a long way being diagnosed at the age of four years old. He was nonverbal and a headbanger with several meltdowns daily to now being high functioning in the sense that he is verbal, smart, and is artistic. Uh, We've had awesome help along the way uh, with therapists and ABA counseling and community living support workers. But her question is that he struggles with anger management and social interaction behaviors. He struggles in school with his peers and some of his teachers. So she would like some advice. 
Yeah, so that's really important. And congratulations, Lisa. So nice to see that he's doing so well. But, you know, social interaction and challenging behavior are very important to deal with, right? So um, I always, whether it's a child on the spectrum or it's us, we act out, we have challenging behaviors or show anger when we are uh, frustrated and uh, the frustration comes out in the form of sometimes some behavior that is not appropriate, like challenging behavior, like yelling at others or hitting them or whatever it might be. So Can I just add that we that Luana has also written in to pair this with she is so we have the twelve year old that's having issues, but there's also a four year old that Luana has who's becoming aggressive because he can't express himself. Yeah. So if we yeah. can talk about there you go. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And again, and thanks for saying that, Shannon, because like it again, not being able to express yourself when it's a four year old, it's kind of easier to see because you're like, oh he gets frustrated because nobody knows what he wants when it's an older child it gets mixed up with other things and then we try we think oh this child has anger management issues it's not really that it's just that they've learned that showing you know they're showing you what they want because they can't otherwise communicate it showing you what they want with anger is effective so i'll give a few examples of that it's kind of like when it's a little child you know, they try to grab a toy, the other child doesn't let go of the to toy, they get angry, they hit the other child, and they get the toy. Okay, so that scenario is, oh, wow, that was pretty effective. By hitting, I got what I wanted. Okay, so it's, a, it's an immediate lesson that hitting works. And that goes on for years and years, and in different ways, right? We go to a store... I will tantrum and hit mom uh, unless she gives me the candy that I saw on the aisle and I want it. And, and mom, of course, is like, you know, in a public place, embarrassed, and so she will give you the candy, right? And then that becomes a lesson that every time I want the candy, I'll hit. So over the course of time, our kids kind of learn just from circumstantial situations that hitting or being aggressive or showing anger works because whenever they're angry they either get something they want or they get to avoid something like for instance another scenario is i'm in school i don't really want to be in this classroom i'd rather be outside playing i throw a tantrum and i throw a chair or whatever and they take me outside and i get what i want so a lot of scenarios teach us that anger works and the reverse of that is just to teach that anger doesn't work, communication works. So the way that you do that is, and it's harder when you have an aggressive, I think it was 12 year old or you know, an older child who's bigger. So you might need help from a behavior analyst, but really what we're talking about is uh, making sure that the angry uh, behavior is ineffective so they can be angry but they're not going to get what they want they're not going to get out of the situation um, by being angry but instead if they communicate which you will help them with you model the communication you make it easier the way that you want them to go has to be easier right and you want them to use communication 
So it's got to be something very basic. Like if it's a nonverbal child, often we'll just use a, an icon that the child like picks up off the Velcro and gives to you, which is, I need a break. I need a break. Or I want that. Or, you know, pointing to the picture of something they want or pointing to the picture of going outside to play. Whatever it is, communication um, and we make sure they get it. So we make sure it's something that we can give to them at that time. Um, but if they hit or show anger or scream or whatever, it's extinction. So we ignore that and we don't allow, of course, with with anger, you have to be very careful because, you know, you can't ignore when a child is hitting you, you have to block it, right? And you have to act like nothing is happening and you go on. So that's why I'm saying whenever there's an extreme level of anger involved and it's, let's say, 11 or 12-year-old, I do recommend getting professional help because it gets worse before it gets better. Because think about it from the child's perspective, something they used to do in the past that worked isn't working anymore. So they're just going to increase it a little. So for instance, for the child that's like, leave me alone, and then everybody leaves, now they're like, leave me alone, and people aren't leaving them alone they will start to push, they will start to hit, they will just accelerate it because why isn't it working? And and it will be a little bit of time before it actually goes away because then they'll be like, okay, no matter what I do, I'm not getting my way. But that period of time can be very dangerous, difficult. And, and most of the time as parents, it's a very emotional time. So we give in and we're kind of like, oh my God, I can't handle this. I'm just going to give in which really makes things worse because now we've taught the child to, uh, to communicate using even a higher level of anger. And so you don't want to do that. You really, when you're dealing with things that have to do with challenging behavior, you really need to have a plan and you need to be, you need to make sure that you're not going to give in when the child does aggress, but when they communicate, you're going to give them whatever they want. It's hard. It's very hard. And I, I just appreciate everything that you said. And you guys know how much I love this woman and that I love that, you know, most of her conversations start with some form of her saying, listen, it has to be fair. Um, because I think we forget that in the conversation. I, w I do want to put a little disclaimer, though, because I think a lot of times, Dr. Grampichet, parents hear everything that you just said, and it sounds something like this. Wah, 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 ignore the behavior. Right. Or ignore the child. Right. And I just, I just want to make sure that if you need to, part of the reason why we record these shows and they're available in podcast is you can go back and listen to it over and over and over again. I love the blog um, Diary of a Mom and have followed it since my child was diagnosed. And last week she did a big post, a big rant about please stop telling parents to ignore the child when they're engaging in challenging behavior. And, and, I, and I read what she said and, and she made this great case about, you know, they're trying to communicate yeah. and you should listen to them. And I was like, okay, I just feel, and I wrote yeah. it and I said, I just feel the need to say, that really good quality ABA does not tell you to ignore the child. It tells you when the child, that all all behavior is communication and that the child is communicating something. And the first thing you have to do is figure out what it is they're trying to communicate, teach them a better way to do it. Mm -hmm. 
and make sure that they have a way to do it. Yeah. Um, so I just, I just want to yeah. make sure that people understand it is not just ignore the behavior. It is, and it's never ignore the child. Yeah. So, um, so first there's a big difference that we should make clear about ignoring a behavior and ignoring a child. There's a big difference, right? You, you can, you can interact with a child while you ignore a behavior. You act like the behavior didn't happen and you continue interacting. Um, you can also block the child and ignore a behavior. So there's a lot of things that are different, but you ignoring a child is, I don't think, ever appropriate. That's just not something you do. So, um, and then going back to what Shannon was talking about, yeah, if you just ignore a behavior, another behavior will replace it, which might be even worse. So what's more important is to teach. That's why kind of ABA programs are, they're two sides. You're ignoring behaviors that are uh, challenging, but at the same time, you're teaching behaviors that are adaptive to replace those behaviors because you do want to know how your child is communicating. You, you do want to know what they're trying to communicate. But if you continue to um, respond to challenging ways of communication, uh, you will be the only person in the world who will do that. As your child gets older, uh, other people, peers, teachers, adults who take care of your child, no one will accept uh, a hit or a scream or a pinch or a push or a shove or anything aggressive as communication. And they will, and then your child will be very angry because he's not able to communicate with the world. So if you want, you know, when we want our kids to be able to communicate with the world, we really have to teach them ways that are acceptable in the world. And that means teaching verbal communication, non-vocal communication as well. It doesn't matter, but communication of a the, you know, normal communicative sense instead of challenging behavior. And that has to happen a step at a time. And as Janet said, every uh, behavior analyst will begin with what's called a functional behavior assessment, where you identify what is the child trying to communicate. If you don't know that, you can't even set up a behavioral program. You need to know, is my child trying to communicate he wants out of the class? Is my child trying to communicate? He wants that object on the on the shelf. Is my child trying to communicate? He's annoyed by the sounds around him. Whatever it might be, you have to figure out what that is through an FBA, which is a procedure. And then you have to teach your child a, a an adaptive way to communicate that. Absolutely. We've only got like a minute left, but I do want to address Luana, who wrote in and said that she's got the four-year-old who's being aggressive. She says this is his first year in preschool around other children outside of his sisters at home. And at first uh, it was when other children invaded his space, but now when he gets frustrated, he's beginning to lash out at the other children. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's right. Um, but all the things that Dr. Grand Pichet just talked about at four, I don't know where you live, Luana, but if you're in the United States, it's very likely that you have access to good quality ABA um, and that your insurance or, or some state funding will cover it. Um, you want to make sure that it's good ABA, um, but they, at four and he started preschool, they should be doing what, Dr. Grand Pichet? 
30 hours a week of ABA? I, I mean, honestly, it depends on the child, right? I mean, I'm not going to necessarily say you should be doing 30, 40 hours for every child. It just depends on the skill level of the child. If it is a child who is pretty significantly delayed, which a lot of the kids that we see at four are, they're, fu they're functioning like, let's say, a two-year level, then yeah, you should be doing 30 to 40 hours of ABA per week in order for the child to have a chance at catching up. And it's like the more intense you do now as a, as a young child, the, the duration of years that you do this will, will lessen, will decrease. So you do more now, it becomes easier to kind of fade out later. But I, you know, I'm going to uh, just say too, for, for parents' sake, I understand that it's a really hard thing if you have a child who is a high skill level, but, you know, is on the spectrum to, to fight with insurance to get the funding. But the truth of the matter is, is that the studies, and you know this because you were a part of research, is that if you can get the funding for that many hours, it's really beneficial even for the kiddos who have high skill levels. They do quite well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, therapy, as long as, I mean, ABA is beneficial no matter what age. And the more intense, the better. But if your goal is, let's say, recovery, which a lot of times with my kids who are high functioning, my goal is recovery, right? It's like, what can I give this child in this period of time so that they go on and kind of live a life like the rest of us. I, I don't even want to say normal life, but like, the, you know, they can function within society as we would. Then I don't just subjectively think, oh, he's pretty close or no, he's high functioning and up. I do assessments which identify exactly how many skills he has to learn. And then I look at the duration of time in front of me. So if he's four years old, I have two years left, let's say, or three years, whatever it is, before school is added and before funding becomes, you know, all that. And I just look and say, if I keep going intensely, like, you know, I have two years left and he has, let's say, 300 skills. Yeah, I'm going to do a 40-hour program. But if I have two years left and he's really, really high functioning and only has maybe 20 skills, then I might actually do just 15 hours. It really is individualized. And this is what's really important. So it's kind of like, it has to do with what we're trying to accomplish, how old the child is and what their level of functioning is. All of those go into this, right? And um, so it's kind of like, you know, if I'm teaching someone who's almost a virtuoso already on the piano and I want to get their piano playing to a higher level, then I'll just calculate how many hours I need. And that's sort of what we need to do. We're out of time, but Luana, I see that you're in the United States and having trouble getting ABA. Would you do me a favor? Would you email me so that you and I can continue the conversation um, offline? My email is shannon at autism-live.com. I, I, let's see if I can help you to figure out what line you might need to be standing in um, um, so that you can get some help and support for your kiddo. Um, and, and I probably can give you some advice about where to go to get help for the IEP as well. Um, and Bella just just last minute, minute written in and said, do you accept Canadians into your program? I would love to move to America. I want to make sure that you know, Bella, that, you know, you can be a part of this program. Um, but we don't, we're not, we're not doing any other program. The ABA that we're talking about is more general. 
And um, so, but if you want to write to me too about the potential about moving to the United States and finding ABA, I will tell you some of the pitfalls that you're going to run into because it's going to take a while. But we can we can have that conversation as well. Shannon at autism-live.com. Dr. Grampuchet, thank you so much for being here and being such Always a fun, responsible Shannon. wealth of knowledge. My goodness, uh, we just adore you so much. Guys, we're back tomorrow on the show. And on tomorrow's show, uh, Christina Adams is going to be joining us. She's an amazing mom. If you watch the show, you know she's been on with us before. She wrote the, the original book that got me started into ABA that's called A Real Boy by Christina Adams. Um, and boy, I still recommend it. That book is over 20 years old, but I still recommend it as a book if your child is starting to do ABA. It's a little outdated in terms of how ABA services are given to people because it was before there was insurance, but I, I still think it's a worthwhile book. But uh, she's also gone on to write a book called Camel Crazy. And you will see that Christina has gotten very much into um, camel milk and has just come back from Saudi Arabia where she spoke about camel milk and she's going to be sharing all of that with us tomorrow and if you're scratching your head going camel milk make sure you're here tomorrow you're going to want to hear uh about christina's journey with camel milk dr grampy shade thank you so much uh just a pleasure i look forward to having you back next week until then give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too bye-bye for now bye everyone